And we know the Lord will add a blessing to his precious word. Now this is a story of, of David and Mephibosheth. And we looked into the background of that story of how Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan, he had built a very close relationship with King David. But Jonathan's father, King Saul, he hated David. He was jealous of David. And he tried to have him killed many, many times, but he couldn't kill him. And through the space of time, King Saul and his son, Jonathan, they were killed in battle. And so David then becomes king. But there was war between the house of David and between the house of Saul. And, and the house of David grew stronger and stronger, but the house of Saul, it grew weaker and weaker until eventually there was only one family member left in the house of Saul and that was Mephibosheth. He was the son of Jonathan, the grandson of King Saul. Now David and Jonathan had made a covenant between themselves many years earlier declaring that they shall not cut off kindness to other family no matter what happens. But after many years and after King Saul and Jonathan had died here we are in 2 Samuel verse 1. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And, and he thinks back. He thinks back and he remembers his old friend Jonathan. And he remembers the covenant, the covenant which they made with each other. So he asks, is there any that is left of the house of Saul? If there's any, then, then I want to show the kindness of God onto that person. And we looked at that word kindness and, and what it means in the Hebrew, harassed, harassed, love and action. And what it means to us as Christians and, and how we can apply it to our, li our lives, especially in this fallen world, especially in a world that hates us, in a world that despises us. And we, and we looked at, at, at when we showed the harassed of God, that when we showed the kindness of God, lives can be changed, hearts can be softened. And friends, so we're going to pick up our story again in Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. And it says this, And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame in his feet. Which is lame in his feet. You know, I thought that was a strange. That was a strange thing to say. Yes, he's a son, but he's lame in his feet. He's lame in his feet. Ziba, or Ziba made a judgment. He made a judgment in this young man, Mephibosheth. Without even knowing the man, without even seeing the man. Why did Ziba need to say that? Yes, he's a son, but he's lame in his feet. It's his... It's almost as if you can, you can hear Ziba saying, Well, King, well, King David, I hear what you're saying. You want to show love and, and kindness to someone. But, King David, hear me. This someone 
This someone is not going to look good in your presence. That someone is someone that you're not going to want in your courts. For because you see, King, he can't walk. He can't walk. And when a guy like that is in the presence of a king, then king, it's not going to look good. It's not going to look good for you. It's not going to look good for you, king. So yes, there's a guy who's Jonathan's son, but he's lame in his feet, or he's a cripple. He's a cripple. Why would you want a cripple to come into your courts? It's, it's not going to look good for you, King David. And you know, friends, that attitude, that's an attitude I believe, I believe you would hear quite a lot today. I'm not just particularly talking about someone who's a cripple, someone who's lame on their feet. But it could be about any disability. It may not even be a, a disability, but it may be just as someone doesn't look right. If someone doesn't speak right or sound right, if, even if someone doesn't dress right, then there's a question mark put over them. There's a judgment made against them. Friends, am I correct in saying that? Ziba made a judgment, I believe, on Mephibosheth because he was a cripple. He hadn't even seen the young man or spoken to him, but he made a judgment upon him. King David, this man is lame in his feet. You wouldn't want this man in your presence. Friends, you know what Jesus says? Do you know what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 1 and 2? He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. You know, friends, I think instead of judging people, we should be showing compassion on people. If there was less judging and less harshness and more compassion and more love, then friends, I think there'd be a lot less pain and hurt in this world today. That's what I believe. You know, twice it is mentioned in this chapter that Mephibosheth was lame on his feet. But how did Mephibosheth become lame on his feet? Well, 2 Samuel 4 and 4 tells us, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame on his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. Jezreel is where Saul and Jonathan were, were both killed. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass as he made haste to flee that he fell, that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. The nurse heard, uh, Mephibosheth's nurse heard that Saul and Jonathan had been killed by the Philistines on Mount Gilboa. And fearing that the Philistines were going to come and they were going to come and, and kill the rest of the family, she picks up the wee lad. She picks up the young boy and she flees with him. She runs with him and she trips. She flees out of the palace and she trips in her haste. And the young child falls out of her arms. And falls to the ground. You know, when I was studying this, I was looking at what a few commentators were saying in this here. And most of them reckon 
that the wee lad broke his ankles. Most of them reckon that Mephibosheth broke his two ankles. And, and, and as, as she was in a haste to flee from the Philistines, she didn't stop to tend him. She just picked him up, gathered him up, and away she went. She didn't stop to look at him. She didn't call a doctor to come and to look at his feet to see what the problem was. But she ran. She ran with the wee lad in her arms. She, she went to, where did she go? She went to Lodibar, far, far away. She never looked at the young lad. She never got a doctor to look at him. You know, I would doubt if it had been plastered Paris in those days. And so his ankles, his ankles were broken. And through the space of time, they sat the wrong way. Because they weren't looked at. You get what I'm saying here? His ankles sat the wrong way. Hence, they had been twisted twisted inward. Hence, he was lame on his feet. You know, I know what it's like to have a broken ankle. Not once. Not twice. Not even three times. Four times. I broke each ankle twice. And I've torn ligaments in my ankles I don't know how many times. Oh, and by the way, I broke my leg once as well. All playing football. So I know what it's like to break a bone, to break an ankle, to break a leg. You know, I think Patricia's sympathy left after the second or third break. <laughs> you just tend that yourself. I'm sick of going up to the hospital with you. You know, friends, I'll tell you, breaking your ankle or leg is one of the most painful things you can do. That's what I believe. I, I, I know what it's like. <laughs> do you see that ankle? Or that leg is not sat right, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. See, whenever I broke my leg, I broke my leg here. I was playing in Malay, Abbey Villa, Trevor, Amateur League. It wasn't a big stadium, it wasn't thousands watching me. It was a Saturday after, a freezing Saturday afternoon down in Malay, Abbey Villa, the team was. I was playing sweeper, Trevor and Hassan, a few of the footballers, big. James would know what a sweeper. Played at the back. The ball came through. I picked the ball up. Went forward with the ball. Centre forward came in. Bang. He hit me over the top of the ball. He hit me there. He weren't shin pods. Shattered my shin pods. Shattered my shin. I went down like an old horse. And, <laughs> and yet I lay there and the pain was horrendous. And you think, I'll get up. I'll be all right. I'll get up and I'll... You, what do you do? You stomp it in, Brent. I'll be alright and I'll run on. Trevor, you've done this. You get up, but I get up. Tried to stomp it in and I fell like a horse again. I felt I couldn't move, seriously. Couldn't move. I got carried off the pits and they took me to the Arts Hospital. Uh, X-rayed me. Big crack. Right down my shin bone. They put me in a plaster from my toes up to here. <laughs> but do you know what happened? They put the plaster on too tight. And I'm going to tell you, see the pain I was in that Saturday night was unbelievable. I thought my leg was going to explode. I really mean that. The burning I thought it was just going to explode. I ended up, I had to go to the city when the city A&E was opened then. Need to get the city A&E back again, don't I? Instead of travelling away out there. Don't I? Like, 
But anyway, <laughs> that's by the by. So I went to A&E on the, Saturday, on the Sunday morning. They cut the plaster off and they put a new one on. But they had to reset my leg again. They had to reset my shin bone and everything again. You know, I think they said if they hadn't done that then, if I hadn't went to the hospital, I probably would have lost my leg. Friends, so it can be very, very serious if you get a broken ankle or a broken leg. And, and even now, I, I have problems with my feet, I'll be honest with you. I've had them for the last 10 years. I get a burning sensation in the soles of my feet. My toes go numb and, and tingly. I've been to doctors. He's referred me to a hospital. I've seen consultants. I've even had radiotherapy in one of my feet. And they don't know what it is. I've seen that many people that then discharged me about three months ago. Said, Stephen, we don't know what this is. But I've still got pains even now, burning sensation in the soles of feet. Don't know what it is. It's probably came from all the breaks or whatever I've done to my ankles and my legs and my feet. But Mephibosheth obviously didn't get his ankles looked at. And now he's lame in his feet. Or now he's a cripple. He's a cripple because of a fall. His nurse tripped. Kind of his nurse tripped and fell. And now he's a cripple because of a fall. And you know, friends, that's a picture of what has happened to us, mankind. Through Adam, we've been crippled because of a fall. We've been crippled because of a fall. We're a fallen people. And sin has had a crippling effect upon us. But thank God, as we'll see later on, that lameness, that crippleness, if there's such a word, has not had lasting effects upon us. A way has been made. A way has been made to heal our lameness and to heal our crippleness. You know, the name Mephibosheth has a lot of different meanings. And a couple of these meanings are, are, are this. It, it, it can mean shame destroyer. Or image breaker. And friends, how prophetical that is. For you see, there was shame. There was shame on the house of Saul. There, there was a bad image on the house. There was an image problem with the house of Saul. Why? Because Mephibosheth's grandfather, King Saul, he was once anointed by God. He was anointed by God, but he lost that anointing. He lost the anointing of God. What a frightening thing, friends, to lose the anointing of God. Why did he lose it? Because of pride. Because of pride. Because of jealousy. Because of hatred. Because of bitterness. Because of rottenness in his bones. He lost the anointing of God. And you know, friends, before we go any further this morning, pride is the root of all sin. That's what the Bible says. Pride is the root of all sin. From that root of pride comes bitterness, comes anger, comes jealousy, comes evil thoughts, comes evil imaginations. And eventually, if not dealt with, then pride will bring forth death. Pride will bring forth death. And you know what the Bible says about pride? Proverbs 8 and 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way in the forward mouth. God says, do I hate? Proverbs 11 and 2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. 
then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. Proverbs 16 and 5 says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not go unpunished. And finally in Proverbs again, 16 and 18 it says, Pride goeth before destruction, an unhaughty spirit before what? Before a fall. Before a fall. Friends, hear me. Pride is one of the most dangerous characteristics a man or woman can have. If not dealt with, then friends, pride can destroy a life. Pride can destroy a family. And friends, pride can destroy a church. If not dealt with. Saul's pride was hurt. It was hurt when he heard the women singing, uh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has tens of thousands. And from that day on, it was a downhill spiral for not only King Saul, but for the house of Saul. Pride came, and then came the fall. And then came the fall. And friends, maybe, maybe this is me just taking a wee bit of preacher's license this morning. But maybe Jonathan, maybe Jonathan, King Saul's son, he saw this. And he saw what was happening to his father. And what was happening to the name of Saul, of, of the house of Saul. That when, then, that when his young son, Mephibosheth, was born, he decided to name him Mephibosheth. Because one day, sometime in the distant future, my son Mephibosheth, he's going to destroy that, that shame. He's going to destroy that shame that has been brought on the house of Saul. He's going to break the bad image that has been shown by my father. And you know, friends, as we, as, as we will see, I think Jonathan got it right. I think he was prophetical when he called him Mephibosheth. But I think he got it right, but maybe not in the way Jonathan thought. Can I hear that this morning? Maybe not in the way Jonathan thought it would happen. But then does God not say, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts, your thoughts. You know, Jonathan, and remember I'm taking preacher's license this morning, but Jonathan maybe thought, Whenever I get to the throne, whenever my son Mephibosheth gets to the throne, we're going to make the house of Saul great again. We're going to remove the shame that has been brought upon us. And, and maybe Jonathan's got everything worked out in his mind, got everything worked out. He, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm, he's got it all worked out in his head. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But friends, hear me this morning. Man's way is not God's way. You understand that? Man's way is not God's way. You know, we, we could have everything planned out. And Lord, I know I want this. I know you're going to do this. Lord, I want this to happen. Lord, I want that to happen. And, and, Lord, and, and Lord, you're going to do this. And Lord, you're going to do that. And, and you've got everything worked out in your mind. And you've got everything planned out. Has anybody ever done that? I have. I have. But you've got everything worked out and planned out in your mind. But you know, friends, maybe it's just not the Lord's will. 
Maybe it's just not the Lord's will or the Lord's way. You know, friends, as the song says, we just need to take one day at a time. One day at a time. And let the Lord do all the leading and all the guiding. For you see, he has a plan for us all. He's a plan for me. He's a plan for Brant, a plan for Elaine. He's a plan for Neil Ashley. He's a plan for every one of us. Friends, he's a plan to give us all an expected end. An expected, and you know what that means? A good end. A good plan. Friends, let him do the leading. We just need to take one day at a time. And we just need to say, Lord, every morning, Lord, would you lead me this day? Would you show me your will this day? Second Samuel 9, 3, 4, and 5 says, And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame in his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machar, the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machar, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Mephibosheth and his nurse, nurse escaped and went to the house of Machar in Lodibar. Where was Lodibar? Well, Lodibar was a town in Gilead in Mahanaim, near the Jabbok River. It was considered a ghetto. Lodibar means no pasture, no word, or no communication. It was a barren wilderness. Some even said it was a God-forsaken place. Out in the outback of the desert, where no one would want to go to. A place where you only went if you wanted to escape from the police. A place where you only went if you wanted to be forgotten. A place where you only went if you didn't want to be discovered by a king. Lodibar. And friends, how many of us have been in Lodibar at one time or another? No pasture. No word. No communication. Just barrenness. Just a wilderness. Just roaming somewhere in the back end of a desert. Now friends, I'm talking spiritually here. I'm talking spiritually here. The heavens are like brass. There's no communication from God or with God. You're just wandering round and round the mountain, round and round the desert in your own wee world, crippled, crippled by the sin which does so easily beset you. Friends, I'm sure most of us have been in Lodibar at one time or another. And the king said unto Ziba, Where is he? And Ziba said, Behold the king, or behold he is in the house of Machar, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Mephibosheth was living in another man's house. Imagine that. Imagine that. The grandson of a king. The grandson of a king. And he's having to live in another man's house. Who was this man, Machar? Well, friends, let me tell you. God has his people everywhere. And as Trevor Brown always says, and everywhere else besides. But this man, Machar, seems to have been a very generous and a very kind-hearted man. And friends, thank God for the Machars in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Thank God for the Makars today. But some say that Makar was a distant relative of David. But not much is known about him. But where he's mentioned, it speaks of him helping people. Helping people. Helping people who are in need. He was like an Old Testament Barnabas. And here we find him helping Mephibosheth. And then we find him again in 2 Samuel 17, 27, 28 and 29. And he's helping King David. King David, he's helping King David and his men. And they were on the run from Absalom, King David's own son, who was chasing him, trying to kill him. But friends, here we have this man, Makar. Makar, helping King David, helping Mephibosheth. He was kind. He was gentle. He was attending to other people's needs. And oh, friends, that we all may have the spirit of Makar in this day. A spirit of Makar. He was kind. He was generous. And he was good-hearted. And here he was looking after King Saul's grandson. You know, he could have said, no, I'm not helping him. I, I, I'm not helping. Uh, after what his grandfather done to King David, I'm not helping him. But no, friends, he brought him into his home. He fed him. He looked after him. He gave him a house to live in. He gave him a bed to sleep in. He was kind to him. He was generous to him. A spirit of Makar. Pray that we all would have a spirit of Makar. So King David sent and fetched Mephibosheth out of the house of Makar, the son of Amiel from Lodibar. So friends, imagine with me. Imagine with me, just for a few minutes in your, your mind's eye. Mephibosheth being sent for by the king. And he's in the house of Makar. And the soldiers are coming to Lodabar. The soldiers are coming to Makar's house and telling him, the king wants you. The king wants to see you. Friends, imagine the fear. Imagine the worry. Imagine the apprehension that was building up within this young man. This is it. This is it. I'm the only, only heir left of the throne. I'm the grandson of King Saul who tried to kill David many times. This is it. My life is finished. My life is finished. But when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come on to David, what did he do? He fell on his face and did reverence. He fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, thy servant. Fearing for his life, Mephibosheth fell on his face. He probably had crutches, some type of crutches. He probably threw them away and he fell prostrate on the ground before King David. In a position of humility and forgiveness. This poor cripple from Lodibar never supposed that King David would show him favour. Did he not belong to the rejected house of Saul? What could he expect from one whom his grandfather had hunted like a dog? And besides this, his lameness made him unfit for court life. He fell 
at David's feet and did reverence. But what was David's reaction? Well, verse 9 tells us, And David said unto him, Mephibosheth, fear not. Fear not. For I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. You know, the first thing David said to, was, to Mephibosheth was, Fear not. Fear not. And friends, if we think back, surely the first time when we came to Christ, surely probably the, one of the first words he had said to us was, Fear not. Fear not. It's me. It's Jesus. Don't be afraid. For I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Fear not. You know, when Daniel the prophet saw a vision of the Lord, it says he fell on his face in great fear and terror. And the Lord said, don't fear. Don't fear, O man greatly beloved. John on the Isle of Patmos said, I fell down like a dead man before Jesus, but he laid his right hand upon me and said, do not fear. Do not fear. And now David looks at this man, Mephibosheth, and says, do not fear. Do not fear. You know, I'm sure those were the last words I'm sure Mephibosheth thought he would hear coming out of the mouth of King David. Do not fear. And you know, friends, that's what Jesus is saying to his church today. That's what he's saying to us, you and I, this morning. Do not fear. Do not fear. You know, I really believe that's for someone this morning. Do not fear. Do not fear. He knows what you're going through. He knows your heart. He knows the pressures and the trials and the struggles that you're going through right at this very minute. And friends, I believe he's saying to you this morning, do not fear. Do not fear. For I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I will be with thee, no matter where you go, no matter what you go through. Friends, that's for somebody here this morning. Maybe even for all of us this morning, but I believe it's for someone here this morning. Do not fear. Do not fear. And verse 8, Mephibosheth is still in great fear and trembling. And he said these words, What is thy servant? Who am I? What is thy servant that thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog as I am? He's in that much fear that he falls at the feet of David. And he calls himself a dead dog. A dead dog. Why would you even want to look at me? Why would you even want to talk to me? I'm just a dead dog. I'm just a cripple. I'm a dead dog before your eyes. You know, friends, in our world today, dogs are loved. Dogs are cared for. Some people love their dogs more than they love their own children. But back in the day, back in the day, back in King David's day, dogs were wild beasts. 
roaming, roaming about the countryside, terrorizing people. And if you had a dog for a pet, then you were looked upon as mad. Friends, that was bad. I know a lot of people have dogs. A lovely wee dog. That's a lovely wee dog. I know a lot of people have dogs today, but back in the day, dogs were classed as wild beasts, terrorizing the community. They were despised and hated. And if one was seen lying at the edge of the road dead, then people would have been happy about it. That's a dead dog. Thank goodness for that. Friends, that's the way it was then. And this is how Mephibosheth describes himself. In fear and in trembling, he says, I'm a dead dog. I'm, I'm just a dead dog. Why, why, king, would you even look at me? I'm just a dead dog. And you know, friend, maybe, maybe that's how you feel this morning. Like a dead dog. Despised, hated, and rejected, and unloved, and in fear, and trembling. Well, friends, can I tell you, Christ doesn't look at you that way. He says to you, do not fear. Do not fear. Friends, he loves you. He cares for you. His heart breaks for you. In fact, he says, come on to me. Come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He goes after the despised. He goes after the unloved. He goes after the one that is in fear. He goes after the maimed. He goes after the cripple, and he showers his love upon them. Friends, that's the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of God. He goes after the one who feels worthless. Who feels worthless. As I said last week, he left the 99 and he went after the one who was running wild and barren out in, that, out in those fields. Friends, he goes after the one that is lost. Fear not. Fear not, David said. For I will show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. For I will show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. Not because he was lame, not because he was a cripple, but because of your father, Jonathan. For you see, a covenant was made between Jonathan and David. A covenant that was never ever going to be broken. A covenant that was going to be fulfilled through the life of Mephibosheth. Friends, this was a covenant of kindness. A covenant of kindness. And friends, those of us who are born again, God has made a covenant of love and kindness with us. And that covenant is kept. And remember, friends, a covenant is a two-way thing. But that covenant is kept by the means of remembrance. We remembered him this morning. By the means of remembrance, by the means of kindness, by the means of love. And friends, we are covenanted to each other. We are covenanted to each other to love one another, to look after one another. But we're also covenant to the Lord Jesus Christ to love him with all our souls, with all our hearts, with all our minds, with our very being. He 
has covenanted to love us and to never leave us nor forsake us. His covenant was made when he sent his only begotten son into this world to die on a cruel cross for you and for me. A covenant of love. A covenant of love. A beautiful thing. You should do a study on it. It's a beautiful thing. So David was not going to break this covenant. He was not going to break this covenant with his friend Jonathan. And here in verse 9 he says to Mephibosheth, I will show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and I will restore all the land that Saul thy, fa that, that, that Saul thy, father, thy father had, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. You know, three times it is mentioned that Mephibosheth was to eat bread at, at King David's table continually. Three times. Mephibosheth was about to receive grace for what someone else did for him. Do you hear that this morning? I'm going to repeat it. Mephibosheth was about to receive grace for what someone else did for him. What did Christ do for us? He went to the cross and he died for it. Think about it this morning. David showed his kindness and restored all the land to him that had been Saul's, his grandfather. And you know what, friends? That made him instantly wealthy. That made him a millionaire. He was instantly rich. For you see, land was everything back then. Land was everything back then. But not only that, it gave him an identity. It gave Mephibosheth an identity. For you see, land, for you see, the land that he was giving him was part of the promised land. It was part of the promised land. And if you had land that was part of the promised land, then you were part of the family of God. You were identified with God. You were a child of God. But then it gets better for Mephibosheth. For David says, also Mephibosheth, you are going to sit and eat at my table continually. You are going to sit and eat with me. New friends, to eat at someone's table is a tremendous honour. It, it was a gift of hospitality. It is a gift of hospitality. But to eat at the king's table was just not a place of highest honour, but also a place of influence. A place of influence because you were at the king's table. The king's table. King David not only brought Mephibosheth to eat continually at his table, but he made him as one of his sons. And friends, are you seeing it this morning? Are you getting it this morning? What a beautiful story of restoration, of forgiveness, of love, of mercy, of kindness, and an abundance of grace. What a picture of redemption. You know, friends, the king of glory has an invitation this morning. He's an invitation out this morning and he's bidding you and I to come into his presence. To come and to sit. To come and to sit at his table. To feast at the table of the Lord. And friends, hear me this morning. It's not about a table. It's not about the table. But it's about the Lord of the table. It's about the Lord of the table. Jesus Christ. It's about him this morning.
It's about him. And he bids you to come. To come and to take of him. There's an invitation for you this morning to come and eat at the Lord's table. We've done it already physically. We have took the bread. We have ate the bread. We've drunk the juice. We've remembered him. A beautiful thing. And that's right and that's proper. And friends, I believe, this is my own personal thought. This is my own personal belief. But I believe this is the most important meeting you can be at. To remember him. And to thank him. But now, he wants us to come spiritually. He wants us to come spiritually and partake of everything that he's got to offer at his table. Friends, he's got so much to offer. He's got so much to offer. There's healing at the table. There's life at the table. There's forgiveness at the table. There's restoration. There's deliverance. There's victory. There's cleansing. There's power. There's acceptance. There's redemption, friends. There's love and much, much more at the table of the Lord. Friends, all that we ever need is found at the table of the Lord. David bid Mephibosheth to come and to eat continually at the king's table. And friends, you know, that speaks, that speaks of a never-ending supply when we come to Christ. He said, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. You know, the last verse of, of 2 Samuel 9, it says this, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and he was lame on both his feet. You know, it made no difference to King David. It made absolutely no difference to King David that Mephibosheth was lame on both his feet. Other kings probably might have said, he's unfit to come into my presence. He's unfit to eat at my table. But friends, King David was a man after God's own heart. I spoke about that last week. King David was a man after God's own heart. And he says to Mephibosheth, Come, Mephibosheth, you come. You come and you sit at my table. You come and you can eat as much as you want at my table continually. And you know, friends, that's a picture. That's a picture of Christ this morning. He bids us all to come. To come. To come to his table and to come and to take of him, to come and to receive of him. And you know, friends, as I come to a close here, maybe this morning you're like Mephibosheth. Maybe you have an infirmity. Maybe you have an illness. You know, friends, it doesn't really matter what it is. Well, the king says, come. The king says, come. Maybe you're in a low place this morning. Maybe you find yourself in Lodibar. Dry, barren, empty. Just a wilderness. Well, the king says, come. He says, come. Maybe you're outside the king's house. Like Mephibosheth, you've suffered hurt. You've suffered pain. You've suffered rejection. Well, the king says, come. Come. He says, come, there's a feast prepared for you this morning. Jesus Christ gave his life. He gave his body to be broken. He gave his blood for you this morning. Friends, there's a seat at the table for you this morning. 
No one, friends, hear me. No one will be turned away. No one will be rejected at this table. You know, if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're not saved, well, friends, Christ says, come. He says, come, bow the knee, turn from your sin, repent of your sins, receive me into your heart and life, and a place will be set for you at my table. He says, come. Friends, the king says, come. Come, come and eat at my table. Come and receive of me. He says, come. Would you please stand with me this morning? Jonathan and Gillian, would you come, please, this morning? And we're going to lead us in this beautiful song to the king alone. I give my life. If you know it, then join with him with my friends. Listen to the words. Sing the words as it's being played. But open your heart. Open your heart to the Lord. And as that invitation goes out, whatever the need is, no matter what, but whatever the need is, not me, but the King is bidding you to come. To come to my table. To come and to receive of me.